It's time now for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester, America's premier automotive news and information talk show. Now, here he is, that automotive journalist with the photographic memory, Ken Chester. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Welcome to hour number two of Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host, Ken Chester. Just so you know, if you don't know already, this is not your father's car show. There are so many new and evolving ways of getting from point A to point B, no matter where you are in the United States of America, we cover it all. From pedestrians, pedal bikes, and electric scooters, to connected cars, pure electrics, and even flying cars, we cover it all. Even, even that is just a part of what we talk about and share with you each and every week. So you're going to always want to make sure that you're locked down and tuned in so you won't miss a thing. So do we have the jetpacks yet? Not yet. What about the floating uh, skateboards? Hoverboards? You know what? No, no, no. Back to the future, let it go. I, I mean, I'm just saying, they told me in Back to the Future that by now I'd be having hoverboards. They said, <laughs> Thank you. If you are a first-time listener, connecting with the show is easy. Call or text me via the Roadworthy Drive Line. that number, 872-222. 9793. If email is your thing, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way, connects you to me and the show. It's that easy. This hour, as always, we have the docket bank full of topics to share and discuss, as well as our usual rummaging around for news from the parts bin. But before we go there, I need to check in with the rest of the Roadworthy Drive crew, Jack at the controls, and, uh, Sassy Miss Sasha at microphone two. Yes. That you heard earlier. How are we doing, people? Well, I want more hazardous duty pay. What? Why is that? Especially after last hour. (laughs) I wasn't sure which one of the two of you was going to break the counter here. Ah, but you got through unscathed, didn't you? Uh, I mean... Well, that all depends upon what you want to consider unscathed. I you mean, you didn't no, need that many bruises, stitches. And, yeah, and the bruises don't show. They don't. Actually, it's healing rather nicely. <laughs> no, no, but I was worried about glass getting broke behind me. Uh, I figured one of the two of you were going to throw something either at me or at each other. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we still got that memo from the suits, though. Yeah. You got the memo from the suits that said, no, don't do that. Yeah, and they told us how much it would be and the consequences if we did. Yeah, we're, mm-hmm. not, we're not going there. Anyway, we're not. I want to make an announcement Okay. that in a week, okay. we're going to have an announcement. We're not <laughs> even going to describe any part of what it might be. He said- but we are going to have an announcement for somebody in our listening areas that, oh, I don't know would be beneficial for everybody concerned, including us. You know, that depends. If they may feel that's beneficial, they um, may beg to differ. Okay, you realize that I'm going to be there, so of course it's going to be beneficial to everyone. I, I got nothing. I'm not even going there. So, I, I, Chester, not. what is in the parts bin? I am so glad you asked me. Parts bin? Notice I'm trying to get away from this subject to keep Sasha at least gainfully That employed. he brought up. He, yes, he did. He decided to make an announcement mm. that in seven days he's going to make an announcement. Yes. About so, the announcement. <laughs> the secret announcement. Well, I mentioned yes. it was an announcement. Parts that it could have been. Could have been. <laughs> um, Joy Drive. Joy Drive? Joy, joy Drive. Like the joy of driving? No. Ah. Um, they are 
the first marketplace in the industry that lets customers buy new or used vehicles from their home. No dealer visit required. In the words of my executive producer, mm. what could possibly go wrong? Now, wait a minute. Let's let's back let's back this dang back truck up. It up. When you say buy it from your home, mm-hmm. isn't that what I'm going to throw a name here because it's the only one I can think of? Isn't that what Carvana does? Exactly. Mm-hmm. The difference? Okay. Carvana, I believe, does not sell new cars. Yeah, they do. No, they don't. Carvana? Does not no, sell new ones. Carvana, I think, just sells used cars. Now, that is correct. Now, you're telling me that this company is going to allow you to buy a new car. I'm assuming they're going to use dealers in the area to deliver them. Um, according to Joy Drive, they currently have um, 50 dealerships that they work with. Um, and up to right now, 12,000 new and used vehicles. And they're growing faster than Carvana. And they expect to be nationwide by the end of this year. And they're in 12 states now? No. They have 50 dealerships and 12,000 newer used vehicles. They didn't mention how okay, many states they're in. But they're still using the dealer inventory? Um, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, they're forecasting to be the largest network of connected dealerships in the country by the end of 2018. Their whole point um, they brought dealerships into the 20th century by offering them an easy-to-implement e-commerce solution, offering customers exactly what they want, the opportunity to buy a new or used car without ever stepping into the dealership. I got a problem with that. Okay. Okay, first of all, part of vehicle shopping is actually sitting in the vehicle, maybe taking one for a test drive, uh, trying to evaluate various vehicles. First of all, let's see what I want. And as we've talked about on this show many times, if you've been out of the industry, shoot, five years, not even ten, then it's very, very different from what you might remember. And if you're the average American who drives his car a little over 11 years, it means that the vehicle that you're currently driving is an 07. And the whole world has changed dramatically. And the technology is going to be way above your head. So... As you're out there, even if you're buying a used one, if you're driving an 07, okay, it's 2018. Maybe I want to buy a 2014. It's still It's different. changed quite a bit, yeah. Quite a bit. So my issue is the test drive. Second of all, I want to know how they're getting around franchise laws. They're dealing with franchise dealers, but they're delivering it to the home. In this state, if you take delivery at home, you do, by law, have three days to change your mind. Yep. Yeah. They're going to give you five. I wonder about that. Well, and my question is, who's going to be responsible for the... um... It would be the local dealer that they're working with. Oh, my. And they're they're going to lose, let's just say it's $10,000 drive off. Uh The value of the car is going to go down ten grand. you are telling me that there's going to be dealers that are going to eat this? You know what? They said that even though they have this five-day return guarantee... Only 1% of the cars purchased to date have been returned. Well, that's interesting. So they're not expecting a big return. And honestly, if you're making this purchase and you're serious about it, you've gone through the financing, the insurance and everything, I mean, what are the chances of returning that car? 
well, if you've gone that far. Well, but again, like you said before, this is why the test drive is so important. I mean, because even before you can even get through this process, they want $500 fully refundable deposit. You got to yep. put up some money. Yep. You know, so <clears throat> I guess my – and in fact, their figures – of their completed transactions to date, approximately 40% included a trade-in and 60% included financing. Okay. So it should be interesting. I've got a ton of questions about that. Well, uh, in and, terms I would, of- and, and I would have to agree with you because I can tell you for a fact, we bought way back in the day, I'm going to say 2001, mm-hmm. we bought a truck mm-hmm. that had been returned to the dealership. Because he could not turn it around in his driveway. Hmm? This truck had 900 miles. He took a $7,000 hit. Wow. At the time. But it was a great deal for us. Yeah. Well, We got a great deal on that truck. But there was nothing wrong with the truck. Oh, absolutely. Nothing wrong with the truck. He just couldn't turn around. But how many people have you told me, Ken, when you were doing car consulting, sat down in the car and figured, oh, my God, this is not the car for me. Well, that and that happens. It, it yeah. happens. Um, I'm going to be curious about how they handle trade-ins. Also, do the people come to the house? If so, what kind of obligation do you have the ability to shop that number? Probably not. You know, they're all about no haggle. Well, fine, but how do I know on the trade-in you're offering me the most money I can get for this same deal? And with the amount of sites that are out there that you can check. The value of the car. Well, you know, I mean, and and granted, there's some there's some I've, I've differencing got, differencing in there. Yeah, I, I've got problems with that too because that's literally regional or by condition. When you're talking about a used car, it's not that generic. It's very specific to the wear, condition, mileage, and any decent appraiser is going to know that, including looking for the typical problems of that car line or of that year and car line that they've come to know over years of buying and trading like vehicles. So you're not – sites, to me, are at best a guide. But as far as the hardcore eyeball, no one's going to make you a solid offer until they put their hands on that vehicle. Yep. And that's kind of the way that goes. So we'll see about how Joy Drive does as it expands nationwide. Now, when we return, I want to introduce you to what it is on track to become the third largest automotive market in the world and why you should care. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive. Want more than your share of the road? Be sure to check out Roadworthy Drive on Facebook. Announcing a new Shell gasoline. We took many of the high energy components of a super gasoline and combined them with the good drivability components of a modern regular. First, you get a gasoline with more octane than the average or ordinary regular. That's designed to give your car more protection against knocking and pinging. Second, you get a gasoline designed to help reduce stalling and give your car the smooth acceleration it may have been missing. The name of this new gasoline
Shell Super Regular, designed to give your car better protection against engine knock than the average or ordinary regular. And to help prevent annoying stallouts. New low lead Super Regular. You may never settle for ordinary regular again. Shell products perform. Yeah, I hate them annoying stallouts. Uh, true, but you haven't had that problem in a number of years. I know, but still, I hate that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You're listening to Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host for the hour, Ken Chester. Now, Roadworthy Drive regulars know that I like to refer to the world of transportation choices as a mobility mosaic. That is a world of many different choices, sizes, and textures that cover a wide variety of consumer needs, wants, and price points. In having that conversation, it's also important to note that whether you like it or not, transportation and mobility are global issues that have no reference or regard for sovereign borders, continents, or political ideology. It is in this spirit of increasing your knowledge of the impact of evolution transportation choices that I introduce you to what was going to be the third largest automotive market by 2021. I can't even decide paint colors, <laughs> let, let alone to have all the choices we're going to have in mobility. Yeah. Well, let me throw this at you. Uh, we've been talking about China a lot. Right. Let me throw another one in there at you. Okay. Is China the United States and? India. Really? Well, consider India and China are the most populous countries in the world. Okay. China, about 1.5 billion people. India, right behind it, about 1.1 billion. And for years, they've both been in poverty. But now, in this global society we live in, they're coming up fast. Real fast. Now, let me give you an example of why India matters. Okay. India, excuse me, controlled by a central government. That central government has set a goal, which includes developing their automotive industry. Okay. Okay. Why does it matter to a U.S. citizen? Because you're going to see GM, Ford, and whoever else go over there and try to get in that market? Aw. They're already there. No. Even more important? Okay. um, Certain people in the United States right now are driving new vehicles built in India. Right now. Really? Really. Wow. Right now. Okay, what vehicles would those be? The Ford EcoSport. Really? Really. Hmm. The one she had a few weeks back. Yeah. India. I did not realize that was made in India. Uh-huh. And let me I'm gonna skip to the end here because they in fact this makes a point. Um their whole thing is to develop their internal industry. Companies that have developed products in India and for India have been able to find markets in other continents as well. This is the example they give. And this is a McKinsey and Company um, narrative. They're a consulting company, and they do these white papers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is from them. For instance, Ford India Private Limited is exporting over 90,000 EcoSports a year. Almost twice the amount of domestic sales. Guess where most of these are going? To the United States. The United States of America. Similarly, Hyundai and Volkswagen are using their factories in India as a global hub for compact hatch and sedan models for export. 
I want to let that sink in. See, as a global industry, automakers are looking at, one, emerging markets, developing markets, markets that are growing. The United States, for the most part, is a stagnant market. It's a strong market. It's a big market. But But it's really stagnant. Yeah. China's overtaken us as the number one market. And by 2021, India will be number three. Now, again, remember what we talked about last hour about uh, emissions and pollution controls? Yep. Right. Yeah. Let me me throw this at you. Uh, Through its automotive mission plan and its national electric mobility mission plan, uh, the government seeks to achieve two objectives. Facilitate long-term growth in the industry. And uh, this one, Jack? Reduce emissions and oil dependence. Okay, so they're going to go for the electric. By their 2026 mission plan, they set a target to triple industry revenues and expand exports sevenfold to $80 billion. Now, what they're looking at is lowering uh, emissions, tightening their emission standards, and they have implemented, believe it or not, a corporate average fuel efficiency standard in India, which manufacturers will have to improve their fuel efficiency by 10% between 20 and 2017 and 2021, and by 30% or more from 2022. Which means there are going to be a lot of converting over to electric share pretty quick. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And who do you think has that? Who is the number one maker of electric vehicles in the world? Some company in China. China as a country. Yeah. Not just one company. But this is where the industry is going. If you're stagnant as number two, number one's growing, number three is going, and you're an in, and you are a global player like a Ford or General Motors, right? You are already in China. You're looking to expand in India if you can, and you've got to commit global resources for developing platforms that will meet these demands. It because. The auto industry is capital intensive. It's long term. It takes years and billions upon billions of dollars. Right. So I want to develop vehicles that I can get the most value for my buck by developing platforms I can sell in big numbers in numerous countries. Do you begin to see why what we talked about last hour was so foolhardy and short-sighted? Yep. Yep. If you're an automaker, you're going to be aiming for India and China. Not the U.S. And if you're aiming for India and China, that pretty much means now you're back to, I got to put one resource out to the world, and then I still got to keep up with the demand here. But it's not demand. It's a matter of spending capital. If you're not staying cutting edge, if you haven't made a commitment to be cutting edge on what the global world requires. If you, if you, if you, mm-hmm. yeah, he said that. I didn't. No, I, yes, I did. Right he's there, been, right there. He's been listening. Right there. If you're not going to be... Leading edge globally. Right. Then you're going to be out of business. Yep. Bottom line. And that is really the thing why I wanted to introduce India. They're growing. They're gaining. And this is only the tip of the iceberg, just like China was 20 years ago. You're going to see more and more influence of India, particularly in the auto industry. So that's why I wanted to introduce it. After the break, the Roadworthy Drive crew takes a look at the push and pull between local governments and evolving tech like self-driving vehicles. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive.
Roadworthy Drive. Like us on Facebook. If you're just joining us, welcome to segment number three of this second hour of Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. I'm your host, Ken Chester. For those of you who need or want more than your share of the road, RoadworthyDrive.com is your spot for you to get your fix. Information about the crew, video of our behind-the-scenes antics, and so much more. For those of you who like us on Facebook, a special treat. Our very own Sasha has a Facebook-only show that is produced weekly, and I'm going to let her tell you more about it. So basically what I do is I take the cars that Ken is given every week, and I do an overview. I do sneak peeks. I do surprise live videos. Um, I want to show you listeners what is available for your dollar, uh, what is available as far as new car tech. Um, I want you guys to be in the know and have the availability for choices. Yeah, and Hmm. particularly, what's bugging Sasha? Yeah, (laughs) so much. Yeah, so you get you get a chance to get all of that all the time, and that's each week. Each week, yeah, each week. And Mr. Ken, yes, sir. Isn't there a song called Grand Theft Auto? Uh, There's a game called Grand Theft Auto. Oh, I know that there's a game, but I thought there was a a song. I don't know about any song. I know about the game. Okay, but the question is, did she bring the car back? Um, last I heard. Um, they did pick the vehicle up. Somebody mumbled it about being a few blocks away, but, you know, all ended up good. Mm-hmm. Was she at the corner of the road going to your place? Um, I think she was a few further blocks away. Oh, not, not really understanding what that was. Something about dragging her, kicking and screaming out of the car. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it was kind of a scene. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But, but, you know, they got the car back. Sasha's okay. And you got and you got the car this week. Yeah. And what are you driving this actually, week? Actually, actually, to be honest, I didn't get a car this week. Really? Yeah. Might have something to do about that last episode. Oh my god. What? Don't blame this on me. Yeah. Well, in any case, when we do, we will do the wheels for sure. There you go. So you just gotta look for it. And besides, you can go back and see some of the other ones that Sasha has done. They are out there on our Facebook page. And I'm sure you will get a real kick out of her vivacious attitude and comprehensive reporting. Uh, it's really sir, worth listening. Yes. She does not have an attitude. What? What? No See? attitude. None. No, I'm not touching At that. all. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. I'm not touching that. Good. Folks, Wheels of Non-Consent, each week on Facebook. You don't want to miss it. For a while now, I've been lamenting about the lack of federal standards and guidelines relative to self-driving vehicles. In the absence of such, states, cities, and certain local jurisdictions have been grappling with regulations, often in a vacuum. There's so much the government can do right now to give the industry the predictability and the standard it needs without throwing a proverbial wet blanket on the development process. We can't get Congress to pass a budget. Now, come on. We haven't had a budget. In I don't know how long. I've lost track. In many, many years. But again, like like you said before, Ken, the technology is moving so rapidly that Congress (laughs) cannot keep up. You know, I'm going to agree to a point. I think minimum standards need to be applied. 
because you've got all these different technologies, but we don't know if they're even operating from the same base level spec. So it's hard to evaluate uh, certain technologies that they're meeting minimum standards or minimum safety standards in terms of their ability to react to things. Now, haven't we discussed before that what it takes is Congress has to pass the law and then the regulations are written? What they could do working with the agencies is to develop not necessarily overreaching in terms of this is the tech, not picking winners and losers. Right. But at least saying, hey, the tech should meet these minimum parameters. I mean, the vehicle you drive today meets minimum parameters in terms of vehicle safety, fuel economy, the safety of the tires, what it does in an accident. All of these things are federally mandated, and And every car sold in the country has to meet them. And and as we stated last hour, you can go back to the podcast and listen to it at roadworthydrive.com. When we talked about the rear seatbelt indicator, when we had that discussion last hour. Yeah, we did. About about that kind of technology. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's a bunch of things coming down the road here that these guys are just throwing in these cars. And well, but let's be honest. In that particular case, there was a move afoot, a law passed by Congress, rulemaking that was being drugged by uh, NHTSA um, in terms of implementation. It's a little clearer because there were some standards in the wind. In the case of the self-driving vehicle, in the case of personal um, or privacy, there are none. Right. Well, and that's been my fight for two and, and a half years on this show, and, has, been the, has been the privacy. And, and later in this show, we're going to talk serious about something that may very well resolve that problem. That would be wonderful. Yeah, something pretty powerful, something that Sasha and I have been talking about for three years, mm. um, and we're going to talk about it again only with an automaker twist. But in this case, what we're talking about is states like Connecticut um, that put together a state task force to try to figure out um, autonomous vehicles, how it relates to the citizenry, what they need to know. Um, So far, some 29 states, including Connecticut, have enacted legislation related to autonomous vehicles And the governors of an additional seven states have issued executive orders on the subject. So the states are trying to operate in the vacuum. The problem is we're waiting again for guidance from the feds, namely the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, in terms of go forward. But in their report that they put out last year, they talked about how far they could go and that they needed congressional action in order to get the legal responsibility to go further. So they not only said, we could do this much, but we can't go beyond this point without Congress giving us the authority to do it because we lack the authority. Which would make it the question, the question I was going to ask you before you answered it, why is this dragging its feet? Now we know why it's dragging its feet. And again, what is it going to take to get Congress to quit playing politics with everything and turn around and start passing this stuff before we end up with eight or nine or ten different standards and everybody's going stir crazy? The problem is we are in an environment right now where the distrust and dislike and disconnect between us and our government is rather huge. Um, we don't feel government can get anything done because they haven't. And this takes some very specialized, focused, bipartisan support to do. Somebody needs to take the lead. And there is some 
activity, we talked about a law that would uh, extend the electric tax credit 10 years. So it's not like they're not doing anything, but it's going to take some commitment by members of Congress. And it is a little wonky. This is some wonky stuff that you're going to need some industry input in order to agree on and set either by law or by guidance some minimum performance standards for all this autonomous technology. You know, it doesn't say that this is the only way you can get there. No, we're saying however you get there, your technology should meet these standards in terms of how far it should see, what it should do in these situations, what it's capable of, what is its uh, 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 default value if there's a problem, if there's a failure, what does it do? So there's a lot of things to do, and the states are trying to do it. Finally, another walk into the weeds with a conversation about why automakers are considering blockchain technology to protect your vehicle privacy. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You're cruising with the Roadworthy Drive crew. Go to roadworthydrive.com to check out Ken's blog, listen to past shows, and the times when you can see the show on Facebook Live. Okay, Sasha, I just figured this out. Yes, sir. We're going to have to separate you and Ken, so we'll send Ken to his room. We'll do this last segment ourselves. Awesome. Blockchain, everyone. Wow. Here we go. Welcome to Roadworthy Drive. No, you're not even getting away with that. Uh Uh-uh, no. No. Okay, go on, sir. Real facts, real opinions, real talk, (laughs) even in spite of my crew. Mm. You have the knob turned to Roadworthy Drive, and I still am Ken Chester. So glad you're here. Even if we're having a little conversation amongst ourselves. Mutiny. That's the word that you're looking is, for. Is that is? I'm thinking treason. <laughs> what? what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd get your attention. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't want to be involved in this. Move along. Hey, mm-hmm. For this final segment of the hour, I want to talk about blockchain. It's a growing methodology that is gaining favor because of its ability to be literally hack-proof by the tigi- typical digital means. It gives all involved in the chain of documentation controlled, detailed, and well-documented information about all the people and transactions involved in that specific chain of documents and or information. Transportation companies in general, and automakers in particular, are taking a closer look. And now, so will we. And let me start with one company that you all know of. Okay. FedEx. Yep. Yes. Um, they're calling blockchain the next frontier for the logistics industry. Mm-hmm. And the reason? Due to the potential for huge benefits in supply chain data management. In other words, if you know everything that's happening with the shipment, where it's late, where it's been, where it's going, its condition, its temperature, a million different things that blockchain will let you do in real time that they're not doing today. Okay. They said that right now... FedEx is actually right now testing blockchain technology to track valuable cargo. And what do they mean by valuable cargo? That would mean high-value cargo, stuff worth a lot of money. What He doesn't specify, but just consider okay. it, it's, it's freight that uh, they don't want damaged, lost, or stolen. Correct. Big time. And uh, when did this guy, when did Fred Smith make this announcement? At a huge blockchain conference in New York City. Uh, And that was a couple of months ago. Okay. Now, let me throw this at you. 
they're looking at, and I'm going to read this because we're still on this roll. Okay. The transportation and logistics industries have enormous amounts of data that can be put to work to answer questions about operations, routing, maintenance, condition monitoring, and service. But the real power of blockchain is the ability to use that deep learning to make predictions about various aspects of transportation and logistics to further advance businesses. Anything from uh, predicting part failures, avoiding unplanned maintenance, offering better routing based on the predictions of weather, and driving conditions or scheduling final mile deliveries based on projections on supplies that will be needed, predictive analysis can have a big impact on transportation and logistics using blockchain. Okay. Um, you know, they think that it can be used in other industries. Uh, and I'm going to go a little bit off script, but would you realize that Walmart's actually using that to track chicken? Like uh, the raw chicken? Yeah. From the time that egg was hatched to the time it ends up in a meat counter. Huh. Wow. Yeah. And they're using blockchain. Blockchain. Okay. Insurance companies are using it. Yeah. Particularly insurance companies that have um, clients that have operations throughout the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Different regulations, different requirements, different right. coverage. What they're finding is using blockchain allows them to be way more efficient at managing risk, providing decent coverage in real time. And, you know, one off this subject a little bit, but I think along the same line, the the Supreme Court ruled about a month or so ago that you're not going to have to pay sales tax on all your Internet purchases. OK, now Is that, that you do you, or you don't. You do. Yeah, yeah I know. Okay. I've noticed that. My now, business. Now, I hate it. Now, boo, any businesses doing Across country, there are 12,000 different jurisdictions that you got to worry about their taxes. Boo! And I'm telling you right now that I can see where blockchain would work because Ken sells stuff on the Internet. Yes, he does. Okay? On the and the thing is, he does not have time to go worry about podunk wherever. Already, since this has happened, three states yep. have added, in addition to my home state, yep. that I now have to track. Yep. Yeah, and I'll name them Washington State, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I'm not feeling either one of them right now, you guys. Sorry, just not. Yeah, and but the thing is, I could see where blockchain could really help here. Yeah. Let me give you an example. Okay. Um, there's this, there's this trucking company um, that actually has working blockchain applications that help carriers save money. One of their customers is a company called Dart Transit. Right, and this is right now. They expect to save over $2 million a year with blockchain applications that have been implemented. Okay. And where, how is that savings going to come about? Does it According say? to them, it will drive greater understanding. Well, let me back up. They didn't say. Okay. But, again, a lot of the things we said earlier about tracking and, and routing and things like that. Being more efficient because you have more information allows you to make better decisions. Okay. And that's what blockchain does for you. Now, getting down to the automakers. The automakers are part of something called Mobility Open Blockchain Initiative, a group that hopes to use blockchain's distributed, decentralized ledger technology across many aspects of an experience uh, of your vehicle experience, even though you're not driving. They hope to create the standards that will allow for secure payments for everything from autonomous car hailing to congestion charges, to ride sharing. 
And the thing is, blockchain is what they call tech agnostic. It is not wedded to any particular technology in order to work. Yep. And that's one of the beautiful things. They can use it for car-to-car sharing as well. Uh, could even be useful for vehicle ID, such as tracing stolen cars or coll- collision histories and bolstering the supply chain. And we've talked about the automotive supply chain and the thousands of companies, the millions of parts going into factories. Imagining if you had a cradle-to-grave accounting for every part ever made, the cars it went into, uh, going with the VIN numbers for recall, for safety, for maintenance, and you had all that information. Basically, it is an, it's an awesome way for the automakers to track this, I don't know, tsunami of uh, parts and equipment and people and uh, privacy because it is private because you can't hack it. Being decentralized means it's not all in one place. As a result, the traditional way of gaining access and then hacking it doesn't work with blockchain. So blockchain may be the answer to privacy and security in your vehicle. With that, we've come to the end of the second hour. And on behalf of Jack, Sasha, and myself, thanks for listening. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This has been Road Rudy Drive. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.